All right, we are going to, I know many of you are going to be glad to hear this. We're going to wind up this series next week with, uh, we're going to cover 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Remember your assignment from last week was to read 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 15. Uh, we, and this journey we've been on started back in, what was it, August. We led into a series on the book of Ezekiel which led us to a series on the Zadok priesthood, which is a group of priests that we discovered in Ezekiel chapter 44, and we covered them and the remarkable track record they had at understanding and interpreting scripture accurately and uh, just hearing from God, which led us to this current series, what God did in them, there's no reason he can't do in us today. So we've been studying the spiritual gift of prophecy, which is covered in detail in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 15, particularly chapter 14. So we've been studying those scriptures. We're going to continue to do that today. Uh, So we have articles at the back. Now, so right around the time we started these series, I started writing articles. You You know, used to, I just get up here and kind of read the scriptures and let it rip, right? But I I started writing these articles because I've been kind of thinking, why am I doing this? Why all of a sudden am I kind of changing my process? Uh, It's because we have become so inundated with information that is manipulated for particular agendas it kind of became a growing conviction, growing conviction in me. We really need to document this and cite everything and let everyone see why we're saying what we're saying and how they can tra- follow the trail for themselves. Because in an age of uncertainty where the glass that we're looking through is getting darker and darker from too much information, an overload of information, and then an overload of information that is used uh, and framed in a false way. I, I get so tired of, that's just fake news. That's false information. Listen, it's just information. Sometimes it's used to justify things that are right. Sometimes it's used to justify things that are good. Everybody's using the same information to promote an agenda. And so one of the things I felt like we really need to provide people with the why behind the what, so that they can have confidence in the approach that we're taking. So, I provided you with this article last week. This is a very good article to help you wade through bad information you find from other church leaders. Okay? Just like with our news media, there are people who will approach the information in the Bible with an agenda... And they will twist scripture to meet their agenda. And so this is a very good article, a very good resource to help you interpret for yourself what the scripture teaches about these topics. I highly recommend it. It's not that long of a read. And so then this is the uh, series we're going to get into today, the, the tuning fork of the spirit. As I warned you last week, we're going to talk about the, uh, the gift of tongues. We started that last week because the topic was polishing your mirror. So you are a spirit. 
There's an immaterial part of your being called the spirit. You have a soul, which is really your brain. Your brain is where your mind, will, and emotions are housed. And then you live in a body. So that's who we are. We have this immaterial part of our being. Our spirit is what reflects the image of God. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see as though through a glass darkly. Now in this life, in this fallen body, then at the resurrection from the dead, which is what we're going to cover next week, and that'll wind up this series, 1 Corinthians 15, then we will see face to face. So gifts like the gift of prophecy and the gifts of tongues, which are to help us to see more clearly, to connect more more fully with the unseen realm, aren't going to be necessary then because we will be fully connected. There will be no more dark glass. Everything will be clear. And so for now, in this body, in this age, these gifts are given to us to help polish our mirrors so that we are able to receive the image of God with more clarity and reflect it to those around us with more precision. So one of the gifts described in 1 Corinthians uh, 14 is the gift of tongues and other places in Scripture to help polish our mirror. It's for me to help polish my mirror so that I can engage with the unseen realm more fully. Now, this topic makes people feel uncomfortable because of the sensationalism that tends to be associated with the practice of these gifts. I was listening to, I forgot where I found it, but it was, a, it was old. I would, I would suspect it was from the 1950s, and it was a woman prophesying. And she had this really energized tone. It's almost like Adolf Hitler. Remember Hitler's speeches? It was almost like Adolf Hitler, the, the energy behind it. And she would roll her R's. And she wasn't British or anything like that. I mean, it's like dramatizing things. And so a lot of us find that kind of off-putting and fake and like a performance And uh, one of the things I would like to encourage us to understand is none of that is necessary when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. A lot of that is just humans dramatizing things to really draw attention to themselves, to exaggerate their own grandiosity, uh, so to speak. And so I've got a quote here from a British couple, Alex and Hannah Absalom just to help frame the conversation when it comes to the supernatural operations of the Holy Spirit, which are various and diverse. To be naturally supernatural simply means to partner with God's empowering spirit in the everyday things of life. And so that's what I would like everyone to embrace. When we're discussing these things, it's about engaging with the Spirit of God in the everyday things of life. These gifts are for the main and plain of life. God loves to bring solutions to people's problems, wisdom to their questions, and healing to their troubles by releasing the resources of heaven here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To this, Jesus personally made the supernatural and natural a regular experience 
through his ministry. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. God has empowered us to do that very thing. Jesus modeled a naturally supernatural life. A lot of times when we read scripture, we attach a lot of drama to it that probably didn't exist when it actually happened. Now, sometimes that would be the case, but as Jesus released words, works, and wonders that came from the Father's heart, after his resurrection and ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit to empower anyone who is a disciple to carry on this same work. Now listen, that's just the truth. Anyone who is a disciple has been empowered to do the same things. Jesus said even greater things than these we would do, right? And so that means you and me. So God has provided the gift of tongues as a tool for believers to become individually attuned to the supernatural realm. But there are big questions and reservations that come with what has become such a bizarre and controversial gift. There's a lot of confusion, not only as to what the Scripture is describing in books such as the Gospel of Mark, the book of Acts, 1 Corinthians, when it mentions this gift, but why? Why is this gift useful? Why is it necessary? How is it useful in the practical everyday life of a believer? Let's start here. So we're going to take a journey. We're going to start first in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul is going to talk a lot about the natural person. Other, uh, other translations describe it as the carnal person. That is the physical person attached to this physical world who's kind of oblivious to the supernatural realm. So just in the natural, the natural person who's focused on this physical world and this life does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. It's nonsense. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That is, they're discerned with another part of your being besides your brain. There's understanding to be apprehended. There's information and knowledge to be apprehended that we don't read in a book. So let's address the first barrier, not only to the gift of tongues, but to the supernatural operations of the Holy Spirit in general. The barrier of what the Bible describes as the natural person, especially in the Western world, the United States, Great Britain, which we really have dictated the pace of thinking and education globally, so that would apply to most of the world, really. We've developed an overconfidence and an overreliance upon the powers of our natural understanding or our attunement to the physical world, what is 
physical, what I can see, taste, touch, smell, hear, these things that I can study, I can put my confidence in those things. It's not necessarily true, but we, we've been trained to believe that. The scripture says here that we are not capable at all of understanding the things of the spirit or the supernatural realm solely with those physical faculties of knowledge. Now, that's true of the Christian message in general, not just the operations of the Holy Spirit, right? We believe that a man died on a cross, was dead for three days, and rose again back to life after those three days, right? There is no natural explanation for that, right? So starting right there, we have to release our sense of control and being absolutely certain in our, our just physical, objective knowledge of things, none of that works when it comes to something like a man being raised from the dead after being dead for three days, right? We have to understand there's something else out there. There's another power out there at work that can do things that I can't explain. And we could go on. Jesus walks on water. Jesus heals heals blind eyes. I mean, he does all kinds of supernatural things that defy natural explanation. And so the gift of tongues is about awakening and developing different faculties of understanding. Read with me from 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 14, starting in verse 13. Here's what it says. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, that word interpret means to unfold the meaning of what is said, to explain, to expound. So it's not a translation, it's an interpretation, two completely different things. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. That unseen, immaterial part of my being that's been called to life by the new birth and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, my spirit prays, but my mind or my brain is unfruitful. Two different faculties or organs of knowledge and understanding. Verse 15, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Paul says the goal should be to get those two things in harmony with one another. The natural man is out of tune with the things of the spirit, but this is a, an instrument, a gift that God has given us to bring those two things into alignment with one another or to, to bring them into harmony with one another. Skip down to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, once again. The person without the Spirit, the natural person, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're, they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Such a person is not subject 
to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have, we possess the mind of Christ. We possess the mind of Christ. I would argue just because I come into possession of something doesn't mean that I have adequate knowledge of what it is for or how to use it with any effective skill. How many of you guys have power tools? You've come into possession of power tools. How many of you know how to use those power tools like an expert? Some of you do. You know, as for me, I have a learning curve whenever I use such things. I have to get it. I have to get on YouTube. I have to watch videos about it. I have to develop a competence and skill in using it. And then just when I use it, doesn't mean when I use it, it turns out right. It usually doesn't. Most of the time, especially with things like tools, we are awkward and clumsy when we first try to use them. Skill and competence needs to be developed through practice and training over repeated use, so it is with spiritual tools. We're already in possession of these things. In your spirit, the uncreated God, when you have been born again, has taken up residence. He has made a house within you. You have all of God you're ever going to have. You have not experienced all of God that you're ever going to experience But those things need to be appropriated through prayer, through reaching for them, uh, through developing them, through our understanding of God, through having faith and confidence in the unseen realm. They have to be reached for. That's why Paul says, earnestly desire these things. Reach for them. They're within you. You just have to begin reaching for them. As we do this, we keep in mind the principle of naturally supernatural, that is not expecting anything dramatic, but by faith, reaching for these tools and becoming aware of subtle but real results. The results that are produced aren't necessarily obvious, there isn't any shining light from heaven, but if we're awake and we discern, we can see, okay, I believe that really was God. Just like when you pray for something and God answers the prayer, a lot of times we just kind of ignore it and let it wash over us. We need to recognize, no, that was an answer to prayer. We prayed that and it happened. A lot of times it'll just fly out the window without you ever recognizing it unless you're awake and alert. Now look at this. Let's go to John chapter 7. Jesus is speaking In John 7, 38, and he says, the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, let's look at the various ways that word is interpreted. It's koilia is the Greek word. And so I'm listing in order the the correct ways that this word is interpreted. The number one understanding is the whole belly. Innermost being, the whole belly, the lower belly, the gullet. That's a word we don't use that often anymore, is it? The womb. The innermost part of a man. 
So it's talking about your gut, right? Now think about this. I got this from John Hopkins University's website, and it refers to what many refer to as the second brain. So a lot of, like, science, for those of you who really need that, they will say that you have a second brain in your gut. Have you ever heard that before? This is from John Hopkins University. If you've ever gone with your gut to make a decision or felt butterflies in your stomach when nervous, you're likely getting signals from an unexpected source. Your second brain. Hidden in the walls of the digestive system, this brain in your gut is revolutionizing medicine's understanding of links between digestion, mood, and health, and even the way you think. Scientists call this little brain the enteric nervous system, and it's not so little. The ENS is two thin layers of more than one million nerve cells lining your gastrointestinal tract from your esophagus to your, pardon my French here, the rectum. You guys are way too mature to laugh at that, aren't you? The enteric nervous system doesn't seem capable of thought as we know it, but it communicates back and forth with our big brain with profound results. Jesus knew that 2,000 years before we even had science. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Now, that's a great metaphor. Think about a river. Think about all of the things that a river can produce, the diverse manifestations that can bless humanity because of a river. So if you combine these two ideas together, we're being informed that there is a river that is running inside of every believer that if we become conscious of it, can produce amazing results. A river can be utilized for things like irrigating crops, powering a grain or sawmill, a means of transporting goods and people, producing electricity, even nuclear energy, providing food for thousands of people. Think about it. Rivers enable people to settle and develop communities and even entire cities around rivers. Whenever the power of that river is harnessed, you can develop entire cities that bless and sustain people. That is likened by Jesus to the spiritual power we have available to us if we become conscious of it to produce amazing solutions to people's problems, wisdom to their questions, and healing to their troubles. Now let's pivot with that in mind and discuss how the gift, a gift like speaking in tongues works. If thought about in a sophisticated way. Now, I have the benefit of having prayed privately mostly in tongues for 35 years, the better part of 35 years. So if you're a beginner to this topic, 
This isn't a landing place for you. It's a destination, right? I've been doing this for 35 years, most every day. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm speaking from experience, not from speculation. Are you with me? If you're new to this idea, don't feel down on yourself if you don't have the same level of clarity or confidence. So I personally began reaching for this gift after being radically saved watching television. You guys know my testimony. I didn't grow up in church. got saved watching television. That's also where I found out about this spiritual gift and other spiritual gifts. I was completely ignorant. So I got to the back of my Bible. It's got a glossary, and I looked up that word tongues because I never, I didn't even, I didn't, never heard of it. It's like, is that in the Bible? So I looked up the glossary in my Bible. It said tongues, this page. So I turned. I read about it in 1 Corinthians 14. I was like, okay, yeah, that's valid. That's legit. So I asked for it. And I started reaching for the gift. 16 years old. Never been to church, wasn't raised in church, and I just started doing it. Nobody taught me. I'd never seen or heard anyone else do it. You know what I did? You know what distinguishes me from other people? I just believed it. I believed that the Bible said what it means, and it means what it says. It was for me today. And I just started doing it. And I didn't understand it at first. It didn't make sense. I didn't know if it was real. It was just a little urge that I began giving expression to. Now, this is how all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit work. A little urge to go and speak to someone, to go and say this to someone, to go and pray for their healing, like out out loud in front of them, you know. Like, a lot of times we like to pray for people, but not with people. When the gifts of the Holy Spirit are function, functioning, you will be urged to go and pray with people. Let's keep reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, just thinking about how to think about this gift. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... Now, again, in your study notes, you'll read all kinds of nonsense about this in your study Bibles, based online. Okay, just, let, just think for yourself, okay? If I speak in the tongues of men, is that a real language? Shake your marbles at me. It's a real language. Or of angels. The heavenly language. Both of them are real. But do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if you're just reaching for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to prove how spiritually superior you are, to exalt yourself in the eyes of others, to put on a display and a, gender, uh, a, display and a, a, a spectacle, that's nonsense. It's worthless. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are manifest so that you can lift up other people, not yourself. It's about lifting up and exalting other people, not yourself. Any other motivation is nonsense. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, which we've studied about, and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, which is what prophecy is about. See, he's using a positive example of a legitimate use of the gift with someone who's lacking the motivation in love. It's consistent. This isn't hard. You don't need a seminary degree to read this. Are you with me? 
Just trust that the Bible says what it means and means what it says. And you can read it for yourself and just let it speak for itself. Paul is contrasting positive, valid manifestations of the Spirit, operations of the Holy Spirit, with false motives and saying, don't do that. We keep reading. So he, he specifically says, there is such a thing as a heavenly language that can be given expression to, and he's going to go on in 1 Corinthians 14 to say, that benefits you as an individual. Let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. We're on the home stretch, don't worry. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. It's an invisible thing. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of this world, the natural man, but the Spirit who is from God. So, what, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, but considers them foolishness. The natural man sees that gift as nonsense. Remember in Acts, whenever the the people saw the, the disciples speaking in tongues, they thought they were drunk. Those guys are crazy. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. That is, someone who has faith in the unseen realm and believes that they can engage with that realm on levels that defy natural understanding. Now, here's the analogy I'm using. It's the analogy of a tuning fork. Kevin, if you'd bring that picture of the tuning fork up. If you don't know what a tuning fork is, Shelly, do you have a tuning fork? She can't hear me. She, she, do you have a tuning fork? You have a one at home? So a tuning fork, if you know, you strike it and people tune their instruments to it. Okay? The thing vibrates at a certain, certain frequency. This is the correct frequency. And you tune your instrument so you know that you're playing it right. Now, the tuning fork doesn't help you make music. I mean, the the tuning fork itself doesn't make music. It's just a tool to help you make music properly. So we understand kind of that use of the tuning fork. But did you know the tuning fork had medical applications before the advent of modern medical technology? So they would take a tuning fork. Say if I had a broken arm, there's a, a, a fracture in my arm, and they knew it's fractured, they just didn't know where. You'd take a tuning fork, you'd strike it, and you'd pass that tuning fork over a person's arm, and whenever the fracture was, the pain receptors would fire, and so whenever that tuning fork hit that spot, you'd go, ah, and the doctor would know exactly where the fracture was and exactly where to apply and administer the healing. It's amazing. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, when it says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. That word edify means to restore by building, to rebuild, or to repair. Just like with this church. 
that we built. We used a lot of the old materials, right, from the original church building that were still good, and we took the part that was broken, and we, built some, and we tore that down, and we built something completely new around, like these lights up here, the old parts of the building that were still good, but we rebuilt something new around those good pieces. So when you kind of put all this together, the Holy Spirit is functioning in such a way as to root out places where we're damaged, where we're broken, where we're diseased, where we're disordered. The Holy Spirit is searching those places out in us so that he can tear down the junk and rebuild something new around the good parts of us. And it's mysterious, it's kind of mysterious, it's kind of mystical, but it's real. The Holy Spirit is working in a similar way as a tuning fork, searching us out for areas that need to be repaired or rebuilt. And the gifts function purely by faith, not by your natural understanding. Think about this, when you go to a surgeon for healing, do you understand what he's doing? You have to trust him to do what would otherwise be unthinkable things to your body. You have to overcome your fear and reservation, place your faith in that surgeon to know what he's doing, and submit yourself to his care. So it is with the operations of the Holy Spirit. Last analogy. Now, this is kind of crazy. You guys know the, the movie, The Jungle Book, right? How the little boys raised by, raised by wolves. You know there are real studies of kids that were raised by wolves? Did you know that? They're called feral children. That, that movie's based upon real stuff. So they're literally little kids that have been abandoned and were raised by animals. They're called feral children. They were discovered by society be, to be living in the wild with the assumption that they were raised by animals. It is stated that such children are deprived of human associations and are too strongly conditioned with animal behaviors when they're raised in those conditions. They can't talk, you know, and they, they act like animals. Such that the, the human development is permanently inhibited and the animal behaviors are never lost throughout their lives. You can't unlearn those things. They're so deeply learned in those formative years, they can never fully be unlearned in these kids. So there are several known cases of feral children relearning language, the most well-known of which is Victor, who was found at the age of 13 and was given to Dr. Etard, who experimented on the child. Victor was also known as the wild boy of Aveyron. He was characterized to be insensitive to temperature. In other words, changes in temperature didn't affect him. Uncivilized and to run on all fours. Dr. Jean-Marc Gaspard Etard conducted training over a period of five years, during which time Victor was able to recover some speech. Now, here's where I want to bring this home. If you think about it, our natural man is the perfect example of this. The carnal man, the one attached to this physical world, just like a feral child. 
We learn instincts and behaviors in this animal world that require a great deal of effort to unlearn. And we can't do it on our own. We need supernatural help to be set free from the bondages of this world. They keep us from the sophistication, in this case, of the elevated realities of the heavenly realm that await us if we allow ourselves to break away from our carnal instincts and thought patterns. Small children need contact with human beings, ideally biological parents, small children, little babies. And little babies, when they're around their mom and they hear their mom speaking to them, like moms do, the babies try and talk back to their mom, but it sounds like babbling, right? Da, 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 you know, they, they, you know, baby talk. Listen, that is a critical part of that baby's development. If that baby's ever going to communicate with its mom on a higher level, it has to go through that developmental process of exercising the muscles in their jaw, tongues, and, and throat. They have to exercise and develop those muscles so that they can learn the ability to articulate a higher form of communication. It's a lot like that with praying in tongues. We're hearing in the unseen world with our unseen mind, we're hearing a heavenly chorus, a heavenly language, and we're stretching to articulate things that are ultimately inexpressible in any known language. And that is helping to repair and restore and rebuild our spirit man, help us to unlearn the savage physical, carnal world, help us to unlearn the principles, the instincts that we've absorbed from that world, to detach from them so that we can become more acclimated to the environment, to the spirit, to the love, to the goodness, to the holiness of another realm, the heavenly realm. But you have to have the humility of a child to do it. You'll never understand it on the front. So in a clumsy way, we're stretching for something that is far beyond our current ability. It requires great humility to practice such a gift, but in the end, it builds us into powerful instruments of use for building God's kingdom. The Bible says it isn't necessarily for everyone. That's true. Not everyone needs to pray in tongues, but it is available to everyone and everyone can benefit from it. That is all. Amen. We're going to receive communion this morning. Uh, those who will be serving communion, if you'd come forward at this time. When we receive communion in any Methodist church, we do it with the understanding that God's grace represented in the broken body of Jesus Christ, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is grace, there is power that is present to transform us into the man and the woman that God is calling us to be. We believe that grace is free for all, it is free to all, it is free in all. Everyone who would be willing to repent of their sin and put their confidence and hope in Jesus Christ is welcome to receive 
the free grace of God offered through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As we come forward this morning, you can receive a piece of bread and you can dip it in the cup. You're also welcome to receive a piece of bread and take one of the cups in the center uh, to drink it individually, uh, whatever makes sense to you. It is our faith, it is the authenticity of our faith by which we appropriate the grace of God. It isn't the bread or the wine, it's the faith and the person, the message of Jesus Christ that is present as we do these things in obedience to what Jesus taught us to do. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. The grace of God is available to us in this moment, in this hour, when we do it in this spirit. Amen.